Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Every Friday night until his death in 1973, an old man could be seen visiting an old broken pier on the eastern seacoast of Florida. He'd walk slowly and slightly stooped with a large bucket of shrimp. The seagulls would flock to this old man and he would feed them from his bucket. See, many years before, in October of 1942, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker was on a mission in a B-17 to deliver an important message to, De to General Douglas MacArthur in New Guinea. But there was an unexpected detour, and it would hurl Captain Eddie into the most harrowing adventure of his life. Somewhere over the South Pacific, his airplane, called the Flying Fortress, became lost beyond reach of radio. Fuel ran dangerously low, so the men ditched their plane in the ocean. For nearly a month, Captain Eddie and his companions would fight the water and the weather and the scorching sun. They spent many sleepless nights recoiling as giant sharks rammed their raft. The largest raft was nine by five, the largest shark not ten feet long. But of all the enemies at sea, one proved to be the most formidable. It was starvation. Eight days out, their rations had given out, and those that hadn't given out were destroyed by the salt water. It would take a miracle to sustain them, and a miracle occurred. In Captain Eddie Rickenbacker's own words, Cherry... That was the B-17 pilot, Captain William Cherry, read the service that afternoon and we finished with a prayer for deliverance and a hymn of praise. There was some talk, but it tapered off in the oppressive heat. With my hat pulled down over my eyes to keep out some of the glare, I dozed off. Something landed on my head. I knew it was a seagull. I don't know how I knew. I just knew. Everyone else knew, too. No one said a word, but peering out from under the, my hat brim, without moving my head, I could see the expression on their faces. They were staring at that gull. The gull meant food, if I could catch it. And the rest, as they say, is history. Captain Eddie caught the gull, its flesh was eaten, its intestines were used for bait to catch fish. The, the survivors were sustained and their hopes renewed because a lone seagull, uncharacteristically hundreds of miles from land, offered itself as a sacrifice. Captain Eddie made it and now you also know that he never forget forgot because every Friday evening, about sunset, on a lonely stretch along the eastern Florida seacoast, you could see an old man walking, white-haired, bushy-eyebrowed, slightly bent, his bucket filled with shrimp. He came to feed the gulls. To remember that one gull, on a day long past, that gave itself without a struggle, like manner in the wilderness, and until his death, he never forgot 
He remembered and he gave thanks. He remembered and he gave thanks. So their situation could not have been more dire. No food, circling sharks, out of radio contact, and yet look what they did in that boat. The captain of the plane led a service of prayer. And they prayed for deliverance. But in the face of despair, they did more than that. They sang a hymn of praise. What led them to do that? What kind of men were these who in the face of imminent death could sing a hymn of praise to God? I believe it's a disciplined trusting in God. Eyes off of themselves and onto their creator, their saviour, and their friend. Because if we look towards ourselves, then we've taken our eyes off of the one who gave us everything, 100% of what we have. And the more we look to him, the greater the perspective of our own lives becomes in the light of his gracious hand. Everything that we have, any gifts that we have, any talents that we have, any financial resources that we have, everything that we have, 100% comes from the hand of God. And our salvation comes from God. Do we remember these things? Because when we're looking at God and to what he has given us, doesn't gratitude naturally rise up within us. But when we're looking at ourselves, pride takes over. Well, you know, after all, I did that by my own strength, by my own determination, by my own academic prowess, by whatever. Look, we see that in Naaman, don't we? He's won battles. He's a really great warrior, and he knows it. But he has leprosy. And so he comes to Elisha, the man of God. But Elisha doesn't even come out the house to him. He tells his servant, go and tell this mighty warrior, Naaman, just go and wash seven times in the Jordan River. And he is really bent out of shape, is Naaman. What do you mean? He's not even going to come out of the door. He's not going to wave his hands in the air. I mean, after all, look who I am. Wouldn't you think he'd at least come out and speak to me and pray to his God for me? What's the Jordan River? We've got two fantastic rivers back home. Can't I wash in those? And his servant, Father, if he'd asked you to do something really difficult, wouldn't you have done that? That would have puffed up your pride, right? That you could do something, that you could accomplish something really difficult. But he's not asking you to do that. You would have done that. Why don't you just wash seven times in the Jordan? See, he almost 
was not healed because of his pride. He almost rejected that which he was given because of his pride. And as he learned, he heard the words of the servant and he went and indeed he was healed. See, this attitude of gratitude comes when we take our eyes off of ourselves and we place all of our focus on God and his gifts. Max Lucado puts it this way. He says, if you feel the world owes you something, brace yourself. You'll never get reimbursed. Henry Ward Beecher said, A proud man is seldom a grateful man, for he never thinks he gets as much as he deserves. The sky is never blue enough, the steak isn't cooked enough, the universe isn't good enough to deserve a human being like him. Pride just tells us that it's all down to us and that we can do it all by ourselves. Gratitude turns to God and says for each and everything in our lives, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for the breath that I breathe in the morning. Thank you for my family. When we start thanking, we think of more things to be thankful for. But the other thing that happens, if pride is an obstacle to gratitude, then the lack of gratitude brings in us discouragement. Discouragement comes as a lack of gratitude. There's an old legend tells how a man once stumbled into a big red barn after wandering for days in a forest in the dark. He was seeking refuge from the howling winds of a storm and he entered the barn and his eyes grew accustomed to the dark. To his astonishment, he saw that he was in a barn where the devil kept his storehouse of seeds. They were the seeds that were sown in the hearts of humans and the man became curious and lit a match. He began exploring the piles of bins of seeds around him and he couldn't help but notice that the greatest majority of them said seeds of discouragement. About that time, one of the devil's helpers arrived to pick up a load of seeds and the man asked him, why the abundance of discouragement seeds? The helper laughed and replied, because they're so effective and they take root so quickly. Do they grow everywhere, the man asked. At that moment, the devil's helper became very sullen. He glared at the man and in disgust, he said, no. They never seem to grow in the heart of a grateful person. See, when we're filled with gratitude, we're not discouragers, but we're encouragers because we see the gracious hand of God at work in all that he has done. Paul cautions Timothy about it. He says, avoid wrangling over words which, do not, which does no good but only ruins those who are listening. Discouragers, either consciously or subconsciously, seed discouragement. They'll talk about people behind their back just to seed that discouragement so that it feeds their own discouragement. But people who are grateful are encouragers. And in encouraging others, then they become encouragers themselves. And so gratitude just grows. 
we are to be a grateful people. Look, even in the face of torture and death, our Lord, on the night before he was betrayed, took bread and gave thanks for the bread. He gave thanks for the bread. Isn't it oftentimes the case that the people who have the most needs, who would have the most right to be discouraged, are the ones who are the most grateful of people? Again, Max Lucado says, My friend Rob cried freely, cried freely, telling his story about his young son's challenging life. Daniel, his son, was born with a cleft palate, dramatically disfiguring his face. He had surgery, but the evidence remains. So people constantly notice and occasionally make remarks. Daniel, however, is unfazed. He just tells people God made him this way. So what's the big deal? He was named Student of the Week, so was asked to bring something to show his classmates for show and tell. Daniel told his mum that he wanted to take the pictures that showed his face prior to the surgery. His mum was concerned. Won't that make you feel a bit funny, she asked. But Daniel insisted, Oh no, I want everyone to see what God did for me. God notices a grateful heart. Listen, he made a praise-singing shepherd boy into a king. Jesus notices a grateful heart. Were not ten made clean? But, but the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And the foreigner is a Samaritan, not a Jew. Were not ten healed, and yet only one returned in grateful praise, in gratitude? It, it doesn't come naturally. It's a discipline, isn't it? Day by day, a discipline. I've often told you that when I look at the lections, oftentimes as an arrow goes straight here before it can come back to you, that as I'm writing this sermon, it speaks to me. It speaks to me before it can speak to you. It has to speak to me, otherwise it won't even rest in your ears. It's a pursuit of gratitude. Every morning when we wake up, will we give thanks that we have breathed and opened our eyes? If nothing else, we could give thanks for the amazing gift of the salvation that we have received from Christ Jesus who gave up everything so that we could live. That alone should be the song of praise on our lips every morning. But it is a pursuit. It's a discipline. It's a way of getting up and looking at the world and looking at God who has created the world, who has created us, who has given us good things. 
And maybe we can take our uh, hint from the character in Daniel Defoe's book, Robinson Crusoe. He arrives shipwrecked on an island, a deserted island, and he started to make a list. And on one side, he wrote down all of his problems. And then on the other side, he wrote down all of his blessings. And so on one side, he wrote, I do not have any clothes. And on the other side, he wrote, but it's warm and I don't really need any. On the other side, he he wrote, um, all of the provisions were lost. And then on the blessing side, he wrote, but there's plenty of fresh fish, fresh fruit, and water on the island. And on and on and on went down the list, so that at the end, for each of the negatives, there was a positive to be thankful for. If we woke up each morning and said, thank you, Lord, Again from Max Lucado, God's handed you a cup of blessings. Sweeten it with a heaping spoonful of gratitude. Pursue gratitude. The grateful heart is like a magnet sweeping over the day, collecting reasons for gratitude. Thank you, God. Your lungs inhale and exhale 11,000 liters of air every day. Thank you, God, for the jam on our toast and the milk on our cereal, the blanket that calms us and the joke that softens us and the warm sun that reminds us of God's love. Thank you, God, for the amazing gift of your son, for eternal life, for friends, for family, for all of those things. May we, like the one Samaritan leper who was healed, be a people who return and give thanks with a grateful heart to God who has given us all that we have. In the name of that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.